All right. Uh, yeah, I got up here earlier. I thanked you, you guys for not going home. Uh, I hope you didn't make your mama mad by not doing that. But uh, anyway, I also know that uh, we have some guests in the room, and so I, I want to say welcome to you guys. I, I'm glad that you are here with us this morning. Uh, but let's go to the scriptures for a little while together. And uh, it being Easter morning, as it is surely no surprise to you, we're going to take a break from our study through Romans uh, for one week to think about the central doctrine of this day, um, which is the resurrection of Christ from the dead. We were scheduled to be in Romans 13 today, uh, which has to do with the, the Christian's relationship to the government and those who are in governing uh, authority over them. It's a great topic to be sure. Um, but I can think of one better to think about, especially on Easter. So, uh, and I love, the, I love the fact, I'm going to go ahead and turn to Colossians 1, by the way. I never told you where to turn. Colossians chapter 1. I love that we observe this part of the church calendar. We're, we're Baptists, so we don't uh, often adhere to the, to the church calendar as much as some other traditions do. But throughout the history of the church, a calendar was developed um, throughout the, the calendar year that, that tried to help the church, the people in the church, to focus on the life of Christ and, and, and the work that he did for our salvation throughout the church year. And we think of Easter as just one day, but in that traditional Christian calendar, Easter is a whole season of focus, a whole season. Like, it runs for 50 days. That, that's, that would be over uh, May the 28th, which is Pentecost Sunday. It's 50 days from now. And, um, and that helps us, I, th- I like that aspect of the church calendar because it helps us to remember, it's just built into the, your daily calendar, it helps you to remember that when Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday, um, he didn't immediately just ascend back into heaven, but he, he walked around on the earth and appeared to his disciples for 40 days uh, as the risen Christ. He appeared to his disciples and he, he ascended back to heaven 40 days later, which, by the way, Ascension is on the church calendar, May the 18th. Um, it's a Thursday. And then 10 days after that, the Spirit was poured out at Pentecost, which is Pentecost Sunday. But anyway, why do I say all this? Maybe just to encourage you this year in particular not to give special remembrance um, to the resurrection just today and then back to normal, whatever that is, tomorrow. Um, or maybe even more accurately, not to give special remembrance to the resurrection just this morning, and maybe you've been here a while. I have. I've you know, been here since 5.55 this morning, and maybe you give, give attention to the resurrection uh, just this morning, and then you're, you're after, you know, it's just, go, let's go to lunch, you know, and it's just forget about it. But maybe make it your aim to reflect on the, on the resurrection of Jesus Christ for your salvation each day for the next few weeks. Um, maybe put a reminder on your phone or something just to, to ding at a certain time. And, and that's just a prompt for you to, to think. And you don't have to like have a whole like study time about the resurrection. Maybe just when you, when you hear that, that, that ding, it just, it's just a reminder, Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And, and maybe, maybe just um, reflect on that uh, maybe give him just maybe it prompts you to pray and give him thanks for that and praise for that. Reflect on the assurance that you have because of his resurrection from the dead. That'd just be a good thing to do. Uh, if you were at the sunrise service this morning, which was so cold, um, 
and it wasn't much of a sunrise on this cloudy day. Um, you've already begun thinking about the resurrection, but if you weren't able to come to that, we'll start now. And um, there's a good chance if you come here regularly that I'm not going to say anything new. I'm not going to say anything that you haven't yet thought of or I haven't yet said. Um, but as I often say, um, that's not a bad thing. The Christian faith is an old faith. Uh, Jude talks about the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. There's nothing new to say. In fact, if you say something new, that should be a little alarming. Um, and, and, and in the providence of God, when we say the old things over and over again, that's by his design as well. It roots it deep in our bones uh, and becomes uh, a grace gift to sanctify us. Anyway, to begin our thoughts, we're going to be in uh, Colossians chapter 1. There are so many passages that, that we could turn to uh, as a guide for our thoughts on the resurrection. Any of the gospel accounts, Greg was in, a, in, a, in a, one of the best accounts this morning in Luke 24 on the road to Emmaus after the resurrection. Any of the gospel accounts or 1 Corinthians 15 is like sort of the quintessential resurrection chapter in the New Testament um, where Paul says the resurrection is so important. He says, if Christ has not been raised... Your faith is futile, and you're still in your sins. He goes on, but in fact, Christ has been raised. So we talk about that. We could talk about Romans 4.25 that says that Jesus Christ was delivered over for our transgressions, and he was raised for our justification. We could spend some time on that. Or any of the passages in Acts where Peter or John or Paul, they stand and preach, and they proclaim the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and proclaim he is both Lord and Christ, the resurrected Christ. Um, and uh, there's so many passages we could talk, uh, talk about, but uh, I, I landed on this one from Colossians chapter 1, I think will be beneficial to you. We're going to read verses 15 to 20, but we're going to focus particularly on the last three verses of that passage. Um, that's going to be our focus. So let's look, if you found that, look at it with me, beginning in verse 15, and I'll read through verse 20. Uh, speaking of Christ, Paul writes, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross." There's a lot that could be said. We're not going to cover everything that's there, but, but we'll zoom in on part of it. But let's pray as we begin. Lord, what we just read is, is we confess our faith to you that it is, it is your holy, inspired, inerrant, infallible, sufficient, clear, authoritative, and necessary word. And Lord, would you give us eyes to see, would you give each one of us eyes to see the truth that you have for us in these words. Would you give us minds to understand it clearly? Would you give us hearts to embrace it, even if it's uh, a, 
a believer, a Christian in this room who has heard these things many, many times, would you help us to embrace it anew today? Uh, and would you give us wills to obey and live out what it admonishes us to do? Would you give me the help that I need to teach? Would you please give us all ears to hear what the Spirit is saying in the Word? I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, like I said, I want to think for a few minutes about those last three verses that we read. And you might wonder why, why this passage to think about the resurrection. And it stems from Paul's use of that phrase uh, in verse 18, at the, the latter half of verse 18, that Jesus Christ is the firstborn from the dead. Um, we're going to think about what that means but also because I picked this passage because this passage highlights two aspects of the accomplishment of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. One of those aspects having to do with how it affects um, our personal salvation, the forgiveness of our sins uh, before the Lord and, and the assurance of eternal life. But the other aspect being how he brought the whole creation under uh, the, the assurance of his victory over sin and curse and his sovereign lordship over all things. So as we think about the, the truth of the resurrection this morning from this passage, if you're taking notes, we're going to consider it from those two angles. The first is going to be the fact of the resurrection. The fact of the resurrection. What does Paul mean by that phrase that Jesus is the firstborn from the dead? So we'll think about the fact of the resurrection. But then secondly... We'll talk about the fruit of the resurrection. What did he accomplish through it? What did he accomplish through the resurrection for us and for all of creation? So as we think through this, I do want to keep in mind, I want to backtrack on something I, I said just a minute ago. I do want to keep in mind that while we can separate out all these different aspects of the work of Christ for our salvation... We shouldn't, in the end, think about them as all separate things. Um, we can break it down into its parts, and we think about some of those things at different times of the year. So we, we think about the incarnation at Christmas time. We think about uh, the life, the death of Christ we, at a Good Friday service this, earlier this week, or, or, or his descent to the dead, or his uh, resurrection, which we think about today, his ascension, which is coming up. You can think about all of those different aspects of the work of Christ for our salvation, and you can think about how each one contributes to our salvation, but none of them can do it on its own. They are all actually just uh, different, um, different aspects of this one great work of, of salvation that he, he came and accomplished for us. Uh, so as I said this past Wednesday, at CBS, Jesus won the victory over our sins, over sin and death through his death on the cross. He declared, it is finished, right? Uh, and, and Paul can say in 1 Corinthians 15, 3, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. But it's not in isolation from all these other things. All the things have to come together for our salvation, right? Um, so uh, let's, 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 let's think about uh, the, the resurrection here from this passage. Um, this, this is a, that, that we're going to think about the fact of the resurrection beginning in verse uh, 18, all right? So let's think about what, it, what is this passage actually declaring to us about Christ um, before we consider the, the fruit of it. Looking at the text, Paul uses an interesting phrase there in verse 18. I've already pointed out to you. In the middle of that verse, he speaks about Christ in this way. He is the beginning 
the firstborn from the dead. And the question we want to ask, um, and we should always ask, is what does, what does Paul mean by this? What does God through Paul mean by this? At one, at one level, there's a fairly straightforward significance to it. It simply affirms the fact that Jesus was dead and he was raised back to life again. Okay, And in that way, he is the first to do that. He is the firstborn from the dead. Um, and the meaning of firstborn in, in that sense is governed by the preceding clause. He is the beginning. He was the first to do this. Now, immediately, somebody might object that there, there were others prior to Jesus who rose from the dead. Many of them. You can think Old Testament and New Testament. You can, uh, in the Old Testament, the widow of Zarephath's son in 1 Kings 17, that's who, someone that Elijah raised back to life. Or you can think about the Shunammite woman's son in, in 2 Kings 4 that Elisha raised back to life. Or, or the guy in 2 Kings 13 who came back to life when he touched Elisha's bones. I mean, that one's a crazy one, guys. You might want to... You might want to look at that one just, just, just for, hey, let me just read to you 2 Kings 13, 20 and 21. So Elisha died and they buried him. Now bands of Moabites used to invade the land in the spring of the year. And as a man was being buried, behold, a marauding band was seen. And the man was thrown into the grave of Elisha. And as soon as the man touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood on his feet. I mean, that, that's just crazy stuff. Jesus, that's, that's, that's just Old Testament. Jesus raised a bunch of people from the dead in his ministry. Uh, the widow of Nain's son in Luke chapter 7. Or Jairus' daughter, uh, he raised back to life in Mark chapter 5. Or in the next hour, we're going to John 11, and Jesus raises Lazarus back from the dead. Um, and also, before, before uh, Jesus' resurrection at his death... We have that crazy passage at the end of Matthew, in Matthew 27, 50 to 53. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split and the tombs were open. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. That's crazy. I mean, just imagine if, you, that if your next-door neighbor suddenly showed up again. Um, I mean, there, and there are others uh, later in, in the New Testament, but all of that, these that I just mentioned, were all these that happened before Jesus' resurrection. So in what way is Jesus the firstborn from the dead in the sense that of being the beginning? How is he the beginning when so many others were raised before him? Because his resurrection was of an entirely different kind than all of the others. You could put it this way. All of those who came before Jesus, all of those in the Old Testament, from Elijah and Elisha, um, and, 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 and the, those that, even Lazarus that we're going to think about in the next hour, they were resuscitated. They died again. Right? They were resuscitated. They eventually died again, but Jesus was raised with a, with a resurrection body never to die again. He's the firstborn from the dead in that way, as Paul 
says in Colossians 1, and the first fruits of our own resurrection, as he'll say in 1 Corinthians 15. Jesus was raised with a resurrection body, like the one all believers will receive when Christ comes again. Historical evidence, both within and outside the New Testament. So it's not, it's not even just scriptural testimony that, that Christians are reliant on for the, for the historical verification of the resurrection. There's historical evidence outside the New Testament that verify that the resurrection of Jesus really happened. There's not a, credi- there's not a credible doubt, but the fact of the resurrection is, is more than the bare fact of its occurrence. Um, the fact includes more than simply what happened according to the human observation. It includes also the theological reality that according to God's word, um, uh, and, 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 and God through Paul is saying that it's not only was he raised, but he was the, the firstborn from the dead in a second sense. It's not just that he, he was the first one to rise in this way. There's a deeper, there's a second sense in which he's the firstborn from the dead. Namely, it testified to the world of the sovereign lordship of Christ over all things. Hence, Paul, if you'll notice, he is, uh, he, notice we already talked about the, the, the phrase right before firstborn from the dead, he's the beginning, but Paul clarifies what he means by firstborn from the dead in the phrase that's right after that. He's the firstborn from the dead, comma, that in everything he might be preeminent, right? That's the, that's the sense of, be, of firstborn. He didn't simply rise from the dead, he rose because he is Lord over all. He is Lord over death itself. And to say uh, he is Lord over all things, he, he is the preeminent one. And, and I want you to notice that this is important. Paul uses the word first, firstborn twice in this passage. He uses it here in verse 18. He's the firstborn from the dead. But he also used it back up in verse 15. He's the firstborn of all creation. Now, I want to just let you know, we're going to turn to another passage to see more clearly what this means, but there might be an occasion of some mid-morning on a Saturday when you get a knock on your door and it's a Jehovah's Witness, right? And they're going to say, we don't believe Jesus is God. We believe, we respect Jesus. We believe he's a, he's almost like a Superman to them. They'll say, that Jesus was the first, the first creation of God, and then, and then Jesus then created everything else. So they'll say that Jesus himself is a, is a creation. He's a creature. He's not eternal. He's not eternal God. And then he, but he's powerful. He's, he's awesome. So he created everything else, right? And they'll say, why do you believe that? And they'll point to passages like Colossians 1.15. They'll say, look, he's the firstborn of all creation. He's the firstborn. So he was the first thing that got created, and then he created everything else. Well, what do you do with that? That's a complete misunderstanding of what firstborn means in this sense, in the biblical sense, all right? And I don't want to just take Paul's word for it. Uh, Paul here is, is drawing particularly on Psalm 89, so if you don't mind, turn back to Psalm 89, and let's get some clarity over this, uh, this term, firstborn. When you get to Psalm 89, I want you to notice a couple of things. So, 
when you get to Psalm 89, I want you to notice that in this psalm, the psalmist, uh, Ethan the Ezraite, that guy, he's writing about David, King David, and, and David's kingly descendants. I mean, so look at, uh, look at verse 20 um, in Psalm 89. He says, I have found David, my servant, with my holy oil I have anointed him. So the psalmist is talking about, well, David was long dead by the time he wrote this, but he's talking about David's, David and his descendants who, who were on the throne. And he's using David as the archetype here. Now look at what he says in verse 27 of David. And he's using David as the, the, the quintessential one here. He says in verse 27 of David, I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. Now, if you know your Old Testament, you know that in David's literal family, he was not the firstborn. In fact, he was the youngest in his family. Do you remember that? Yeah? Well, if you didn't know it, now you know. You can read it. David was the youngest in his family, in his literal family. Uh, So he was most definitely not the firstborn son of his literal family, but that's not the meaning of firstborn here, right? The psalmist is using firstborn as a status symbol, as a status symbol, because he clarifies it. He's the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth, the highest. And, 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 and in, the, in, a, in a family, the firstborn son has had a, a, a special status that all the other offspring didn't have. He received the inheritance. He had the the status of being the firstborn. And the the, the Scriptures use firstborn in that sense, that it's a status term, right? And in that that sense, Jesus, you you can go back to Colossians 1, in that sense, Jesus is also the firstborn. He's the firstborn over all creation, meaning He is high over all of creation, not just the rest of creation, but all creation, Right? And he is also the firstborn from the dead, meaning he is, and, and, and he's, he, that's what he clarifies in verse 18, that in everything he's preeminent. Not only is he the beginning of the resurrection in him of all believers, but he is Lord over all. As, as, the, as the resurrection, Jesus himself in Matthew 28 would say, when he came to his disciples having been raised from the dead, what's the first thing he said? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Right? So even as he even as as Jesus stood before his before his death on the cross even as he stood awaiting arrest in the garden of Gethsemane Jesus said in the face of those who came to arrest him do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels And as he stood trial before the cross Jesus told Pilate you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Jesus humbled himself at his incarnation, taking the form of a servant, choosing not to exercise the authority that was rightfully his as God in human flesh. As we sing at Christmas time, Jesus, Lord at thy birth. He chose not to exercise the privileges of that 
But at his resurrection, he had moved from his state of humiliation to his state of exaltation. And he rightfully resumed the exercise of his authority, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So as we think about the fact of the resurrection, we learn that in the resurrection, Jesus was the first to be raised never to die again. And in so doing, he was beginning a new eternal reality, which we're going to think about next. And in so doing, he was demonstrating his lordship and sovereign glory over all things. That's what the, the resurrection demonstrated about him. But what did, it, what did it accomplish for those who believe? What, we've already hinted at it uh, a little bit, but let's think quickly before we, uh, before we come to a close about the fruit of the resurrection, the fruit of the resurrection. Um, there is no way that we could exhaust all that there is to say in this passage in just a few minutes, but we can at least make a note of some of it, what he says here. And he essentially highlights two aspects of Jesus' accomplishment, one personal and one individual, and the other one cosmic and universal. Let's take those in turn and see them in the text. First, what did, did Jesus accomplish for us who believe? Look at the end of verse 20. The reality that that, that, that he rose from the dead, the firstborn from the dead, it says it verified that he had made peace by the blood of his cross. He had made peace by the blood of his cross. Sin's greatest penalty against us is death. That's Romans 6.23. We've already studied that on Sunday mornings. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death. In other words, Death is its due, okay? Sin's, sin's greatest penalty, sin's penalty is death, but sin's greatest power over us is also death. James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire, and then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. It's an inescapable power over us in our sin. I mean, if you read Genesis, we've been studying Genesis on Sunday nights, and you know, you remember those early chapter, chapters of Genesis, you talk about Adam and Eve in the garden. Chapter 2 was the covenant that God made with Adam. Chapter 3, they broke that covenant. Sin entered into the world. Chapter 4 is a pretty wicked little chapter. Chapter 5 is, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. Sin is an inescapable power over us and our sin. And when Jesus rose from the dead as our substitute and as our representative, he broke sin's penalty against us. He, he overcame sin's uh, penalty, which was death, and he overcame sin's greatest power over us. And that's like the old hymn of Rock of Ages puts it when, he says, when it says, Be of sin the double cure, save from wrath. That's the penalty and make me pure. That's the power. And as long as Jesus is dead in the tomb, he's not yet finished paying the penalty. He's, he, he's, he, he's still in that moment. He, he remains, uh, in, in that moment, remains on all, that, all those uh, for whom he died. And death, as long as he's in the tomb, still holds that final power over him. But the vindication and verification of the work that it was fully and finally done was when he walked out of the tomb alive again, never to die again. But notice what else Paul says here um, when he says Jesus, what he accomplished as the firstborn from the dead at the first part of verse 20. 
It says, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. That's cosmic and universal in its scope. Notice how all things, by the way, was defined back in verse 16. Verse 16 says, For by him all things were created. And what what does all things encompass? Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things. That's all things. So when, when he says that Jesus' resurrection accomplished the reconciliation to himself of all things, whether in heaven or on earth, that is literally all things. But what does it mean that Jesus has reconciled all things to himself when he rose from the dead? In this context, it doesn't mean he reconciled all things in terms of bringing them into forgiveness and fellowship. It's not universalism. He's not saying that all will be saved, first, because clearly the Bible elsewhere affirms that all will not be saved, but secondly, because Paul included Paul, Paul included all in heaven and on earth, and he later says of those in the heavenly realm that, that, that they are, they've rebelled against God and they won't be saved. He says in chapter 2, verse 15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities, putting them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So then again, what does he mean then if it's not salvation when he, when he says he reconciles all things to himself? What does it mean if it's not salvation? He means that all rebellion against him will unfailingly one day cease. Arms will be laid down. All things in heaven and on earth and under the earth will one day return, at his return, bow to the Lord because of his resurrection. As, as the prophet Isaiah prophesied, he prophesied about that day in Isaiah 45 Verses 24 and 25. To him shall come and be ashamed all who were incensed against him. In the Lord all the offspring of Israel, that is fulfilled in Christ, shall be justified and shall glory. The fruit of the resurrection is simply this. Jesus won. And all who have put their faith in him as their Savior and Lord now share in that victory forevermore. Now over the penalty of sin, now increasingly over the power of sin, one day from the very presence of sin. And I'm going to leave us some time around our tables here in just a moment. Um, But let me leave us as we close with this beautiful passage about the resurrection from N.T. Wright. Now, I'm going to say N.T. Wright, uh, his name, if you jot that name down, just know N.T. Wright doesn't get everything right, no pun intended. Um, when, he, when, he's, when he's wrong, he's wrong. When he's right, he's really right. And, um, and he, he is really good on the resurrection. And he talks about how the resurrection should affect how we live today in the here and now and how to see the world and our lives in it. I've read this quote to you before, but it merits hearing again and again. Here's what he said. The resurrection of Jesus... And he, he was talking about he was talking about John's account of the resurrection in the garden um, when he appeared to the to the ladies, right? And he's reflecting on the first words of Jesus when he saw them. The resurrection of Jesus issues the surprising command, don't be afraid. Because the God who made the world is the God who raised Jesus from the dead and calls you now to follow him. 
believing in the resurrection of Jesus isn't just a matter of believing that certain things are true about the physical body of Jesus that had been crucified. These truths are vital and non-negotiable, but they point beyond themselves to the God who was responsible for them. Believing in this God means believing that it is going to be all right. And this belief is ultimately incompatible with fear. As John says in his letter, perfect love casts out fear, 1 John 4, 18. And the resurrection is the revelation of perfect love, God's perfect love for us, his human creatures. That's why, though we may at any stage in our lives grasp the truth that God raised Jesus from the dead, it takes us all our life long to let that belief soak through and permeate the rest of our thinking feeling, and worrying lives. So praise the Lord, yes, every, for every aspect of the work of Christ. And, and um, the way, you know, several years ago we studied through the Apostle, Apostles' Creed, and, I, and it, Brian made mention of a part of that Apostles' Creed on Friday night at the, at the Good Friday service, that Jesus suffered under, under, the, under Pontius Pilate. Um, yeah, the way the, the Apostles' Creed puts it, Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate, he was crucified, he, was, he died, he was buried. Praise the Lord. Yes, we remembered that, that, that Jesus descended to the dead to proclaim his victory to the dead, but praise the Lord on this day, on the third day, he rose again from the dead for his glory, for us and for our salvation. You actually have a, a number of minutes to talk about this passage and anything else that's on your mind around your tables. I know we're not sitting at normal tables. Do the best you can. Um, I would encourage you uh, to, to, um, to think about anything that you may have, have heard uh, me say or anything that this passage says. Um, maybe what does it teach you about God? What does it teach you about yourself? What does it lead you to do? But also, before it's all said and done, maybe take a moment, somebody around your table, and just pray a prayer of thanksgiving that Jesus is risen from the dead. Maybe prayer of prayer of thanksgiving uh, that that that. Um, that yeah, that he has won, that his victory is sure, that, that uh, all things will work together for your good because he has risen from the dead. Somebody do that, and I'll close this out in prayer in just a minute.